kiwi fruit is sort of the new kid on the block in the nutrition space for sleep. And one of the papers I'm talking about here was only published last week. So kiwi fruit is really high in melatonin and serotonin, and it also contains a really high quantity of vitamin C and antioxidants. The consumption of two kiwi fruit one hour prior to bedtime can increase your total sleep time and can increase your sleep efficiency. Welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Welcome back or welcome to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Bubbs, Performance Nutritionist, and this is season number seven, episode 16. Today, I'll be sharing with you a talk from this year's second annual Football Performance Nutrition Summit by Dr. Kate Pumpa on the new science of nutrition strategies for sleep. Professor Kate Pumpa is an exercise physiologist and sports dietitian with expertise in optimizing sporting performance through nutritional and physiological interventions. Kate has extensive clinical and research experience in high performance sport, particularly in rugby union and basketball. Kate has recently commenced a tenured position at University College Dublin in Ireland as a professor of sport and exercise physiology. Before we get started with today's episode, it's Black Friday. So Athlete Performance Nutrition is joining in the fun and offering 50% off all courses and summits. Just head over to athleteperformancenutrition.com, use the promo code BLACKFRIDAY50, that's BLACKFRIDAY50, to save 50% off all courses and summits. But you gotta hurry, offer ends midnight Eastern on Friday, November 24th. All right, let's get started. I think you're gonna enjoy this talk from Dr. Kate Pumpa, all about nutrition for sleep. So thank you very much for inviting me to present today on new science on nutrition for sleep. My name is Kate Pumper and I currently work at the University College in Dublin. And prior to that, I have worked, I don't know, for about the last 15 or so years in professional sport, predominantly in rugby union and basketball, from development athletes, 13 to 14 years of age, right through to our national teams. So today I'm hoping to bring you a summary of all the literature in this space at the moment, and then give you some tips and some practical advice of things that have worked with the athletes that I have worked with over the last 15 or so years, but I guess more in terms of nutrition to promote sleep in the last few years as it's become more of a hot topic in sports nutrition. Now, before we get into some of the nutritional interventions that can be advantageous for sleep, I thought it was best that we started about where how much sleep we actually need. So depending on the age of the athletes that you work with, this could vary anywhere from around seven to 11 hours. So if you work with teenagers or younger athletes, then they will require more sleep than if you work with adults or the older athletes who require a little bit more, a little bit less sleep. If you have a look through the literature, if someone is um, consecutively sleeping less than seven hours a night, then this is considered short sleep. And there is a lot of literature that's um, stacking up in regards to consistent or consecutive nights of short sleep, leading to an increased risk of musculoskeletal injuries. And of course, there's a whole other set of ramifications that come about by not sleeping enough. So health, well-being, mental health, physical health, recovery and performance decrements, just to name a few. So how much sleep are athletes actually getting? 
This was a study that was published in 2021 that assessed how much sleep 175 Australian individual and team sport athletes were getting um, over a, a training period. And so in this particular study, the research team asked athletes how much sleep they thought they needed to wake up feeling refreshed. And then they objectively assessed how much sleep these athletes were actually getting. They assessed this through objective monitoring, such as sleep diaries, and also wrist warm activity monitors or actigraphy. So as you can see on this figure here, we're looking at the sleep that athletes believed they need was significantly greater than the sleep that they were actually getting. Now, when you look at the data from this particular study, athletes reported that they needed around 8.3 hours of sleep a day to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to go, when in reality, they were actually only getting around 6.7 hours sleep, which is less than that seven hours that I mentioned before. An interesting finding of this study was that only 3% of the entire population only achieved the amount of sleep that they thought they needed to, um, to wake up feeling ready to go and refreshed. So how can you optimize sleep management to start with? And before I start to talk about some of the nutritional interventions that may help your athletes um, improve their sleep quality and quantity, I thought it was best to talk you through how you might identify if athletes actually have a problem. So Neil Walsh has published a consensus statement a couple of years ago, and he's broken it down into four steps. The first step being sleep education, and then the second step being sleep screening using a validated tool for athletes. I'm going to go through some of those tools in a moment. But this is a really easy, simple strategy that you can implement with your athletes to identify if athletes have no problem at all, whether they perhaps have a mild sleep problem, which you may be able to mediate and, um, and help with in a sports setting, or whether they might be at risk of a moderate or severe sleep problem, which then you can action upon. So you can send them to a sleep physician so that they get the help that they need to correct those perhaps um, sleep conditions they have to perform at their best. So the way that you can assess sleep, as I mentioned, the athlete-specific sleep questionnaire is the one down the bottom here, which is the, the most reliable and valid method that you can use in an athletic population. There are a lot of other sleep questionnaires that you can use and you may read about in the literature, but the athlete-specific questionnaire is, has been validated in an athletic population, whereas some of the other sleep questionnaires have been deemed non-reliable and not valid in athletes. And that's possibly due to the heavy training loads, lots of international competition, changes in time zones, um, for example, that athletes regularly experience. From an objective point of view, you can assess an athlete's sleep through polysomnography, which is usually used to diagnose sleep conditions and it's only really used perhaps in those athletes who may have moderate to severe sleep conditions or in a research setting. More likely you can use research grade actigraphy, which is things like actigraph watches, for example, and they have been correlated really well with the gold standard of PSG. But more likely, a lot of your athletes are probably assessing their sleep using commercial wearable devices such as smartwatch technology or even nearables, which is technology that sits either embedded in the mattress or within the, the bed sheets, or it's placed close to the bed. So it monitors movement, heart rate, respiration rate, for example. Now the commercial wearable devices and the nearables are not so great in terms of accuracy in an athletic population. It's really difficult for researchers to validate some of these devices because a lot of the algorithms that sit within these devices and devices are patented and not shared with the scientific community. So 
The good thing is if you do identify an athlete who has some sleep impairments, and I'm talking about those sort of mild ones, not not um, the, the severe ones that may need to go to those sleep physicians, there are a lot of great nutritional interventions that can enhance sleep quality and quantity in athletes. And the great thing is there's an emerging body of research that is actually assessing these interventions in athletes, not just sub-elite or well-trained individuals, but in our elite athletes. I'm going to take you through a few of these, starting off from a holistic nutritional intake point of view and then working my way down through individual foods and then supplements. Before the last little bit, I wanted to just take you through before I get into those supplements, because I'm going to refer to a lot of this terminology throughout the talk, is the different sleep terminology that pops up in the literature. So non-rapid eye movement sleep and REM sleep, we cycle through every 90 to 110 minutes throughout the evening. Our non-REM sleeps comprised of three different stages, um, stage one and two being light sleep and stage three being our deep sleep. Then our rapid eye movement or REM sleep is where we dream. Now to assess this sleep architecture and sleep stages, you really need to be using um, PSG or that polysomnography to get really accurate readings. In a lot of the literature I'll be presenting today, which is a pro predominantly applied in nature, we'll be coming across the following terminology. So total sleep time refers to how long the athlete is actually sleeping for. Sleep onset latency is referring to how quickly does that athlete fall asleep once they've laid down into bed. Wazo or wake after sleep onset refers to how often someone, how often and the duration of time someone is waking up during the night after they have fallen asleep and then they wake up and rise in the morning. And sleep efficiency is a percentage of how much an athlete is sleeping from the period of time they've actually been lying down. Now, in terms of what's classified as a good night's sleep, for total sleep time, you're wanting greater than that seven hours if you're working with adult populations. For a sleep onset latency, ideally, athletes should be falling asleep within 15 minutes that their head hits the pillow. Um, wake after sleep onset should be less than 20 minutes duration is classified as okay. And sleep efficiency, we're really looking for values greater than 85%. So into the nutritional interventions. I'm going to present two studies here, both by the same research group in AFL or Australian Football League, one in the female athletes and one in male athletes. Now, these two studies have recently been published and they have investigated in this particular one, 32 AFLW players, and they've investigated their nutritional intake over a 10 day period simultaneously to collecting um, sleep data through wrist worn actigraphy and also sleep diaries. Now, what uh, uh, Dominic Kondo, which is her research group, found in this particular study, there is associations between higher carbohydrate intake and increased wake after sleep onset. So the duration that athletes were awake during the nighttime, as well as a decline in sleep efficiency. High saturated fat intake was associated with falling asleep quicker. Higher iron intake um, was associated with longer sleep durations. And higher iron, zinc, vitamin B12 were associated with higher sleep efficiency. Something a little bit interesting was that higher vitamin E intake was also associated with a decrease in sleep efficiency. Um, so from this particular study, we're seeing that there are some micronutrients that may be important in regards to sleep and some macronutrients that may be important in terms of sleep as well. Now, just to contrast this, I wanna share some male data. 
So this one involved 32 uh, male AFL players. Exactly the same methodology was undertaken as the female players. So 10 consecutive nights of simultaneous collection of food um, nutritional intake through dietary apps and sleep assessment through sleep diaries and also wrist-worn actigraphy. What was found in the males is there was associations between total daily energy intake and wake after sleep onset and sleep onset latency. There was associations with total daily protein intake and longer waso and a decreased sleep efficiency. However, when they looked at specific isolated time periods, such as evening protein, um, that was associated with a decrease in sleep onset latency. So athletes that were consuming protein after 6 p.m. were actually falling asleep a little bit faster. Evening sugar was associated with a shorter sleep time, and that, again, was sugar consumption after 6 p.m., and also the longer duration between a meal and bedtime led to shorter total sleep time. So if an athlete was eating at say 6 p.m. and they weren't going to sleep until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, they had a shorter um, total sleep time compared to if they'd eaten closer to falling asleep. So what does this all mean? I find it, it's pretty hard to draw some solid conclusions from these particular papers, but I think it does give us some clues into some of the things that we should be looking at in terms of macro and micronutrient intake and possibly distribution of meals across the day. We definitely more research investigating causal relationships between this nutrient intake and sleep because these were all association-based data. We know that for, for these particular studies, um, the associations between sleep and nutrient intake was different for males and females. And therefore research needs to be investigated, research needs to engage both female and male athletes um, in, in sleep differences. What I think is really interesting, and hopefully all the dietitians in attendance would be doing this anyway, but energy intake, timing of meals, and specific macro and micronutrient intake should really be individualized for that particular athlete. So periodizing those, those, um, that nutritional intake. And if someone is um, has uh, compromised sleep, perhaps it, making a higher protein meal later in the evening before they go to bed, for example. Um, and I'm going to talk about a couple of other strategies you can do, but that might be beneficial for some athletes. I'm keeping with the food theme and moving on to high GI meals. Now, there has been a plethora of research in this particular space, but when I look on balance at the benefits of consuming a high GI meal versus a very low carbohydrate meal or a low GI meal, there seems to be small benefits um, if consuming a high GI meal two to four hours before bed in terms of increasing total sleep time, increasing sleep efficiency, and also decreasing the amount of time it takes an athlete to fall asleep. So what does this mean in practice? And a carbohydrate at the evening meal should probably encompass some high GI foods. And this not, may not only be beneficial for sleep, but if you've had a an athlete who's had a really heavy training day and have depleted their glycogen stores, then you're kind of killing two birds with one stone, replacing those glycogen stores as well as perhaps assisting with sleep. Keeping with my food theme, uh, kiwi fruit is sort of the new kid on the block in the nutrition space for sleep. And one of the papers I'm talking about here was only published last week. So kiwi fruit is really high in melatonin and serotonin, and it also contains a really high quantity of vitamin C and antioxidants. Now, recent research, and you can read in this Doherty paper in 2003, which was published last week, it has demonstrated the consumption of two kiwi fruit one hour prior to bedtime can increase your total sleep time and can increase your sleep efficiency. 
It can also decrease the amount of time that you are awake between sleep onset and sleep offset and improve the quality of your sleep, which has resulted in this particular cohort of athletes, a decrease in self-reported stress, which makes sense that if you're getting a better sleep quality and quantity, that it may reduce your overall stress. So there are a few studies in Kiwi food that have demonstrated very similar findings in this space. There's also some really nice research in the area of psychological well-being in kiwi fruit consumption. So I'll refer you to that Billows paper that I have referenced down the bottom of the screen, because even though this study wasn't uh, conducted in an athletic population, I think that it has some um, real potential for those athletes in perhaps periods of very high stress or if they're anxious around particular periods of competition, that kiwi fruit may be able to relieve some of that stress as well as help improve their sleep. So in terms of practical recommendations, you should be looking for gold or green varieties of kiwi fruits because these are the ones that have received the bulk of the research and that have showed the positive outcomes. Ideally, you would be consuming two green kiwi fruits one hour before bedtime, and it doesn't seem to matter whether it's dried or fresh. So if kiwi fruits are out of season in your part of the world, then perhaps you can look for um, uh, dried-based options for athletes if they find this is effective for them. I think dried-based kiwi fruits could also be really helpful if you're traveling quite a lot and you may not have access to fresh produce all the time. I want to move now into some nutritional supplements and tart cherry juice is a supplement that I have been using with my athletes for probably seven or eight years now. Originally, I started using tart cherry juice to alleviate DOMS um, and help with exercise-induced muscle damage. Um, when it originally became available back in Australia. That's because originally the research really focused on reduce, reducing muscle soreness um, in athletes. But then over the last few years, there's been an abundance and an increasing number of studies showing that actually tart cherry juice can be beneficial for other things, including sleep. There's been some real positive research associating tart cherry juice consumption with increasing total sleep time increasing sleep efficiency and decreasing the time it takes athletes to fall asleep. Now, this has been shown across individual and team-based sports where there hasn't been enough literature or research is in the differences experienced by male and female athletes. So as I mentioned, this is something that I use quite regularly. So in terms of practical recommendations based on the literature, a dosage of around 230ml shots daily where sleep may be impaired is what's recommended. Now, there's a little bit of variety in terms of the prescription of these shots. Some studies consume uh, one shot in the morning upon waking and one shot before sleep. And this is probably to help counteract some of the perhaps muscle damage or muscle soreness that may be experienced during periods of heavy training. And then that um, cherry juice before bed because of the melatonin concentration to help people sleep a little bit better. Anecdotally, I've been using this in uh, nighttime competitions. So I predominantly, as I mentioned, work with rugby union and our kickoff times are typically around 7.45, 8 p.m. at night. And they were therefore wrapping up sort of 10 p.m. at night in terms of competition. So I've been providing cherry juice to my players after evening competition to help them sleep a little bit better. And this I found has been particularly important when I have athletes that are using caffeine as part of their pre-competition regime. 
um, I found have had really good uptake by the athletes and really positive feedback from the athletes in terms of its assistance in helping them sleep. One of the, I guess, side effects that I could report from the athletes do consume, consume this regularly is that they experience very vivid dreams when they are consuming cherry juice. And in some instances, I found some athletes have actually become a little bit addicted to cherry juice, not necessarily perhaps for the improved sleep, but more from the dreaming that they experience. And some of them report that the dreams are really quite crazy and vivid and they're becoming a little bit more hooked on that. So, um, I've, and that's just not one or two athletes, that quite a lot of athletes have been reporting that to me. Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this episode. A quick reminder, the Football Performance Nutrition online course is onboarding this fall. If you're enjoying the content in this episode, the Football Performance Nutrition course is 10 modules covering everything from energy systems and training demands to macronutrients and supplementation, hydration in football, as well as nutritional periodization. The FBN course covers case studies, concussions and mental health, as well as the coach's corner on leadership, mindset, and lessons from the trenches. All this from leading experts and practitioners working in the NFL and NCAA. It's Black Friday. So Athlete Performance Nutrition is joining in the fun and offering 50% off all courses and summits. Just head over to athleteperformancenutrition.com. That's athleteperformancenutrition.com and click on the FPN course logo. And as a special bonus, you'll also receive all 14 talks from the recent FPN Summit 2.0 this summer. All right, let's get back to the conversation. I've also found them really helpful when traveling. I buy them usually in the shots, like the, the pouches, like sports gels, for example. So if um, I have athletes that are traveling um, across multiple time zones, this can be really helpful. And I've also used it in terms of periods of really intense training, such as during a preseason, to not only help with sleep, but also to offset some of that muscle soreness they may be experiencing. I now want to talk a little bit about alpha-lactalbumin or ALAC. And this is a particular protein that's very high in essential amino acids and really rich in tryptophan. Now, tryptophan is really important as it influences the synthesis of melatonin and, uh, melatonin and serotonin, which are really important in the sleep-weight cycle. Over the last couple of years, I've had a few PhD students who have been specifically investigating this particular protein. And I just wanna share a couple of studies with you. The first one is a lab-based study and it was a randomized double-blind three-arm crossover trial. And it was conducted uh, with 22 well-trained female athletes. Now, as you can see on the screen here, we had three interventions. We had an ALAC, which is 50 grams of uh, a 50 gram weight. We had 40 grams of ALAC protein, and then we had powdered chocolate and sweetener to, um, to blind the participants compared to our placebo, which was a whey protein isolate. And our control was a water-based intervention. Now, these athletes attended our lab on nine separate occasions and they were randomized to see, receive one of those interventions on each of those occasions. These occasions were all separated um, a month apart or 28 days apart to try and control for mental status. But we also, um, we had every time they came into the lab, they came in for a familiarization and then they slept for two nights. So the first night of sleeping with the PSG was like our baseline. And then we also had an experimental trial where they conducted an evening, a simulated evening competition scenario. 
Now, these are the outcome measures we assessed. So sleep, as I mentioned, using PSG, so the gold standard for assessing sleep. We assess cognitive performance and a range of vigilance, working memory and executive function. We did some physical performance measurements such as counter movement jump, a 20 meter sprint and a yo-yo intermittent recovery level one. We did some perceptual measures. And then we also looked at salivary cortisol for cortisol awakening response and also plasma tryptophan. The exercise intervention that we ran on the experimental night, so that was the third night or uh, the third day or the third lab visit on each occasion that the athletes came into the lab. And they undertook four lots of 10 minute intermittent sprint based exercise to try and simulate a competition. Um, it was a, um, it involved sprints, change of direction, walking and jogging. So it was quite intensive when we collected a lot of RPE data to make sure that we um, had similar levels of exercise intensity across the three different trials. And then the athletes, after they completed that particular intervention, came back into the lab where they had a standardized evening meal, which was really low in tryptophan. And then they received either their water, their whey protein isolate or their um, ALAC before being hooked up to PSG and then into the sleep lab for a night's sleep. So what did we find? So in this acute ALAC ingestion period in a lab-based setting, we found that uh, non-REM stage two sleep increased, our yo-yo intermittent recovery distance increased the morning after, we prevented reductions in intermittent sprint performance. The reduced ratings of mental effort and mental demand during cognitive tasks were all found in um, the instance where the athletes were consuming the ALAC compared to the control or the placebo conditions. So from these particular findings, we concluded that ALAC could improve sleep and next day performance recovery after nighttime exercise. Now, in contrast to our findings, there was another study that was published um, and by one of the listeners who's on the Zoom call today, Christine, um, who is based in North America, and they were looking at ingestion of alpha-lact albumin in cyclists. So they took six elite cyclists and they had them during a training camp and they consumed the ALAC protein or a placebo with which very low in tryptophan on three consecutive nights. And they were looking at time trial performance and indices of sleep. And they also had a second group or a second study where they had some well-trained cyclists that they um, assessed in a lab-based setting where they consumed the ALAC um, on one, one night. They didn't find any improvements in sleep quality or time trial performance in six cyclists, which was in contrast to our particular finding. Now, there was a range of reasons they hypothesized that they hadn't found any differences and maybe that was due to adequate sleep already being um, undertaken by the athletes in this study. And when you look at the data and the graphs, it appears that they were attaining around seven to eight hours of sleep each night. So perhaps they didn't have so much more room to improve their total sleep time, or perhaps simply acute ALAC ingestion just wasn't long enough to see these benefits. So as a follow on from the acute lab based study, I had another student who conducted an applied based setting and we looked at ALAC consumption on sleep quality and quantity in female rugby union athletes and this was conducted in a field based study. So it was a double blind placebo controlled trial and we had 18 super W athletes participate in this study. Now, Super W is the highest level uh, of rugby union competition within Australia and these were members of one of those Super W teams. Now, the athletes were randomised to consume either ALAC or a whey protein isolate that were matched for taste and colour. 
we this particular study was comprised of four lots of seven day blocks. So we encompassed a pre-season week, a home game week, a buy and an away game week. And then unfortunately in this study, um, it was going to go for a few more weeks longer, but it ceased due to COVID. But we managed to capture four really good weeks of data. So what did we find? We found that after chronic ingestion of ALAC, that sleep efficiency significantly increased so the longer that the athletes were consuming the ALAC protein, as you can see in this top figure. We also found that there was a significant um, improvement in SOL. So athletes were falling asleep faster the longer they had been consuming the ALAC protein in compa compared to the whey protein isolate. So it might not look like a lot of changes, but in this particular population of female athletes, we thought, thought, found these results really important. Now, in Australia, rugby union for females is semi-professional. So most of these athletes were working full-time during the day. They would usually do their resistance training in the morning, and then they would have their team and fitness training session in the evening. So they already had a predefined period of time that they could actually sleep. So their training may finish at sort of 8, 8.30 at night. So by the time they got home, had evening meal and got to bed and then had to get up for work the next day, they did have a limited time frame. So by improving their sleep efficiency and the rate at which they can fall asleep, then we think this is a really important finding. So what can you take out of this? My practical recommendations is that chronic ingestion may be more favourable than acute ingestion. And not only from a sleep perspective, perspective, but we do know that whey protein or protein ingestion prior to sleep can have advantageous properties in terms of recovery, muscle protein synthesis, and muscle accretion overnight. The dosage of around 40 grams two hours prior to bed appears to be the most beneficial. There is some ranges of 20 to 40 grams within the literature, but the majority of literature that shows benefit, in addition to the ones that I've just spoken about, uh, 40 grams seems to be the standard dose. So where we need to do more research in this space is to look at a dose response so that we can get to a position to individualize prescription of this protein a little bit better. So in terms of grams per kilos, we also need a lot larger sample sizes in both males and females. Now, some of the other interventions that I won't be discussing in detail today, but I've popped down some really good references if you're interested. Um, in reading a little bit more about them is the following supplements. And the reason I'm not going into too much detail is there's very limited evidence in an athletic population. Most of these are in um, just healthy adults or adults who have had sleep disorders. So glycine, um, cons when consumed as three grams, 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime has been shown to reduce sleep onset latency. GABA has been shown to reduce WASO and SOL and also increase our sleep efficiency. Chronic ingestion of beetroot juice. So chronic ingestion, I'm talking about seven consecutive nights of 300 milligrams of nitrates. So that's a typical um, beat it shot if um, you're familiar with those. And that has been shown to improve sleep quality. Uh, probiotics has been shown to improve sleep quality. And this was actually uh, a finding out of a study that I conducted a few years ago in a group of rugby union athletes over a domestic and international competition period. We were looking at trying to improve illness and um, infection rates, but we actually found that those athletes that were consuming the probiotics, the longer they were taking them, the improvements in sleep quality were quite astounding. Um, in terms of magnesium, there is some potential for sleep promotion, but again, a lot of the literature is in adults with sleep um, disturbances not general, uh, and general population, not in an athletic population. 
Of course, if you're using any sorts of these supplements, then they should be batch tested. And this will vary depending on where you're located in the world. Just some final thoughts and things that you could consider where nutritional interventions may play a really important role is athletes who are observing Ramadan and still training because it has been shown that sleep quality and quantity significantly reduces in athletes who are still training full-time and observing Ramadan. Those athletes who experience or who have to train early in the morning, their sleep quality and quantity is compromised um, quite significantly. So if there is a way to improve their sleep efficiency or reduce their sleep onset latency, then it might be advantageous for those athletes. Sleep and para athletes is really under-researched. They have been shown to have um, compromised sleep in terms of quality and quantity, but there's very limited literature in that space, particularly looking at nutritional interventions to enhance sleep in that population. We need to do a little bit more work in the individual versus team sports space because there's very conflicting literature at the moment. There's a number of studies that have shown individuals um, suffer greater um, disturbances to their sleep quality and quantity compared to team sports. But then there's other papers that show team sports have better um, quality quantity of sleep compared to the individual athletes. And then finally, esports, which I think is a really interesting area. When you consider sleep hygiene recommendations and not being exposed to our tablets, computers, and phones and so forth before we sleep, well, esports that's part of their their job or their competition. So I've, um, there's one paper that you can have a little bit of a look at, but I think this is a really under researched area. So I hope you enjoyed that very brief overview of all the nutritional interventions that are currently available, and I'm happy to answer any questions. That's a great questions here from the chat. Okay. Uh, why don't we kick Thank off you. with where we left with, which was the ALAC. So here's a question yes. from Peter Ritz at Northwestern. Uh, the ALAC doses used in these studies seem uh, high relative to the amount in conventional food sources, i.e. milk. Has research yeah. been done looking at smaller doses? No, the smallest dose is around 20 grams um, in the literature in an athletic population. Um, and so we have, I have a PhD student who's actually starting in August, September this year. And one of the primary objectives of her PhD is to identify a dose response. And so um, hopefully maybe next time or in a couple of years when you run these sessions again, I might be able to have an answer for you in terms of a minimum dose or even a grams per kilo. That's what we're really aiming for because we've got to that point in whey protein ingestion, but we haven't got there with ALAC yet. So um, hopefully in a couple of years, I'll be able to give you a definitive answer on that. And Taiba asks, can you recommend an ALAC protein source? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it's not um, widely available commercially. And so the ALAC protein that we have obtained for our research purposes has come from a company out of Canada called Agripore. And so uh, we've been obtaining yeah, all our protein from there. And to my knowledge, it's not available commercially. There is a few... Um, few products that are on the market that are purported to, you know, um, enhance sleep, but they don't contain the same quantities of tryptophan that this ALAC protein does. Now, when um, discussing with Agripore, they're actually funding this PhD that we're starting in a couple of months. Um, it's just so expensive to process this particular type of protein. They are not looking at it commercially yet. And so that's probably why it's not available worldwide and commercially. And it's something I think would be, it's probably something in the pipeline, 
once the cost of actually producing this comes down, I would say. Tremendous. If we shift gears to the tart cherry, Melissa yes. was just wanting to, to clarify with the 30 mils, was that a concentrate that you were mentioning there? In yeah, your slide? it is a concentrate. And so um, a couple of the products that have been used, so Healthspan Elite has a performance cherry, which is a concentrated 30 mil. Um, there is Cherry Active is another brand that is concentrated 30 mil. I'm not sure uh, what products are available in the States. They may be different, but they're the ones that are available within the UK, Europe, and also in Australia. But yes, it has to be a concentrate. And you can't just drink the cherry juice off the supermarket shelf. It's a totally different variety of cherry. So tart cherry is very different, different to your sweet cherry that you might get. If it's like 2 or $3 in the supermarket, it's the wrong cherry because this stuff is quite expensive. A hundred percent. And on that note, I've had this question from a few sport dietitians and performance nutritionists. Over the last sort of five or 10 years, athletes are more cognizant of sugars and removing sugars from their diet. But the nuances of practice mean that sometimes when they see sugar on the label and they see a cherry juice at 10, 15, 20 grams, then all of a sudden they're worried about those sugars. What would your yep. reply to that uh, example athlete be? Yeah, my reply is let's individualize it, periodize it and balance it out across the day. So if I have an athlete who has some sleep disturbances, then I would absolutely be encouraging them to trial this tart jerry juice. And if it makes them feel more comfortable, I will reduce their sugar intake somewhere else during the day to offset that if that's they're really concerned about it. I have had some athletes concerned about sugar um, content, but I, funnily enough, or not funny, depending on what sport you work in, it's been more of the coaches looking at it and going, oh, this has 15 or 20 grams of sugar in it. Um, but I think the benefits, and in reality, when we're looking at athletes who are consuming in rugby union, we're looking somewhere between three and a half, five, thousand to 5,000 kilocals a day, mm -hmm. 15 grams of sugar is going to make bugger all difference when you're looking at that many calories <laughs> and the benefits of consuming this from a muscle damage as well as a sleep perspective, I think far outweigh the 15 or 20 grams of sugar. So that's what I would be recommending to my athletes. Fabulous. Question from Christine on this note of talking about melatonin and different food sources. What's your opinion on the use of supplemental melatonin? Yeah. Now I, I debated whether I put that in or not. And then I, I made a conscious decision to stay away from sort of pharmaceuticals. And mm -hmm. I know that um, in some team sports that I've worked with, the sports physicians have prescribed melatonin. And then in other team sports that I've worked with, they've really stayed away from those sort of prescription melatonin or other sleeping based um, medications. So I am trialing all the food-based sources initially. And if I think that they're still not getting what they need, I'm going to really be referring them on to someone else to look at other interventions before we start to go down the melatonin or even, you know, other sleep-based medication. Terrific. And another question for you here around, obviously, a sport like American football, rugby, ice hockey is the same. Athletes need to really get up for the competition. There's mm -hmm. caffeine use sometimes yep. more than what we'd want, but there's definitely caffeine use. And that's yep. obviously impacting sleep on the back end. We have athletes taking different medications, ambience, et cetera, to be able to then take the edge off and fall asleep. Mm -hmm. but in such a scenario, curious your thoughts on, on some of the wisdom, strategies, tip tactics that you might have for those types yeah. of scenarios. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, the cherry juice is something that I've been using in my rugby union athletes for nighttime competitions for a few years now. And so it's um, part of, I guess, a routine procedure. And I get, this is not scientifically, I haven't published this, but anecdotally, the athletes are getting benefit from taking, I doubled the dosage, like they take two shots, because most of them are pretty big anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doubling the dosage within that hour of sort of finishing competition, because a lot of them do take a lot of caffeine to get up as part of pre-comp. And I haven't had, other than in instances of sort of long haul travel, there haven't been any athletes, to my knowledge, routinely taking sleep medication to get them down after a game when we've been implementing some of these other nutritional strategies and as well as sleep hygiene education and trying to help them create an environment that's more conducive to sleep um, where possible. Thanks for listening to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. As always, appreciate you taking the time. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the Performance Nutrition Podcast. It's a big help to the show and keeps us attracting the best of the best in performance nutrition. All right, see you next time. The Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcasts.